Well, good morning. Welcome to this service of worship. We're here to worship our Lord, to hear from Him. We're here sitting at His feet, as it were. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray together. Uh, gracious God, we thank You for coming to us in Jesus Christ, who is Your face here on earth. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we would be all ears as we listen to the Word that is now uh, read and uh, that will be proclaimed. We pray that your word would go deep into our hearts and that it would find root in the way we live our lives. Uh, so, Lord, here we are. Teach us afresh by your holy word. Amen. Well, we're making our way through the Gospel of Mark. Um, we're still in the first chapter, believe it or not. But uh, anyway, we are making our way through. We're learning a lot. Certainly I am as I have to prepare these sermons. The preacher always gets to learn more than anybody else, and I'm always preaching to myself when I preach, so um, I often find myself very convicted and challenged by God's Word. So let's uh, re read chapter 1 at uh, verse 21. Remember, this is after Jesus has called his disciples. So they went into Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. <clears throat> Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm still at the very tail end of a three-week cold. Stand clear. <clears throat> Oh, I know. <laughs> okay, let's do it uh, in unison. <laughs> I've never quite figured out how if you yawn, everybody yawns. What, what goes with that? How does that happen? When I cough, everybody coughs. Time change. Time change, is that it? Okay. Well, after the calling of his first disciples, Jesus began his public ministry in the village of Capernaum. Uh, by way of a little background, uh, Capernaum was on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It was an upscale kind of a place, uh, which isn't surprising since it wasn't too far from a major trade route. And uh, the, there were, there were uh, fertile, there was fertile land all around the village, uh, surrounded by plentiful fishing. Uh, in Jesus' day, there was an eight-foot-high seawall that extended along the, the shoreline in front of the village. And uh, there were several piers that extended 100 feet into the water, uh, all in support of a flourishing fishing industry. Capernaum's population was mostly mixed. Uh, most of the inhabitants were Jews who labored as fishermen and farmers, artisans, merchants, officials, maybe even some tax collectors. And there was a small Gentile population that was augmented by a Roman garrison in the area. 
but Jews and Gentiles uh, enjoyed friendly relations. Capernaum continued to prosper for several centuries after Jesus' day. Actually, today it's just a tourist site. There are lots of excavations going on. But, uh, but it was a, a thriving little village. In the 4th century, the city could afford uh, to construct a synagogue, which is the most impressive to be excavated in the Holy Land to date. And we have a picture of that. Uh, that is the synagogue in Capernaum. It was built not out of the native black basalt rock, like other buildings, but of imported white limestone. So that's a sign of the, of the city's wealth. Now, this 4th century fancy synagogue was not the one visited by Jesus. But the interesting thing is that in 1967, archaeologists have uncovered what they believe is the 1st century foundation and floor of the, of the original synagogue just below it. And uh, we show that picture. See, uh, there's the, the dark portion. It's actually the original synagogue above is the fancy part. And that would have been the synagogue that Jesus would have visited. So we know that, that almost undoubtedly Jesus was there in that very spot where that, that newer synagogue sits <coughs> um, centuries ago. And if you ever have occasion to go to the Holy Land, you go to Capernaum. And to see this and to be... I mean, it's a thrill to actually be in the spot where Jesus was, where he taught, to be uh, in the area right there at that synagogue. Just kind of an amazing feeling. Now, Jesus seems to have moved his residence to Capernaum from Nazareth. Remember, he grew up in Nazareth. Uh, he moved to Capernaum perhaps because uh, it was the home of his first followers, or maybe it was because he wanted to avoid political interference from Jerusalem. So Jesus begins his ministry, and Mark tells us that when Jesus first arrived in Capernaum, he went in the synagogue to teach. Now notice that this is a synagogue, and it is not a temple. There is only one temple, and the temple was in Jerusalem, and it was the place where animal sacrifices were carried out by high priests and where sin was atoned for. Synagogues, on the other hand, were simply gathering places, which is what the word synagogue means. And they could be found throughout the Mediterranean world, wherever there were, there were 10 or more Jewish males over, over the age of 13. Uh, synagogues were essentially assembly halls where the law of God, the Torah, was read and interpreted by various teachers and by visiting rabbis. Now, the only official in charge of the synagogue was called the ruler. He was the ruler of the synagogue. And uh, his, his job would have been kind of a combination of librarian, worship committee, custodian, and perhaps a school teacher. The ruler of the synagogue did not preach or expound the Torah, but the, uh, therefore the, the Sabbath teaching and the, the preaching, the exposition of Scripture, fell to the laity and to this, on this particular uh, occasion to Jesus. As was his habit, Jesus visited the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And knowing that Jesus was new in town, the ruler of the synagogue handed him the, the scroll of the Torah, who proceeded to read and to interpret it. Interestingly, Mark does not tell us what he read or what he taught. But Mark's focus is on the teaching, or the, the character of Jesus' teaching ministry and the reaction it invokes. And what a reaction. 
the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. They were amazed. Now, that English word amazed just doesn't do this scene justice. It doesn't describe the reaction. If you look at the Greek, it's much stronger than this. The congregation is utterly astonished, stunned, flabbergasted, uh, bordering on even being terrified. No one, I mean no one, taught like this. Jesus exhibited an authority on a whole different level. It was a, a difference of kind, not just degree. He certainly didn't teach like the scribes. Now, the scribes were the most learned expositors of the law of God, the Torah, in their day. They were the biblical experts. They were the ones with the PhDs in theology. And their opinions were accorded great weight. They would pursue a particular interpretation or make a certain argument by quoting Rabbi X or Rabbi Y, or from this school of thought or from that one, all according to the traditions of the Jewish fathers. And that's what we do actually in the academic world today, right? Every assertion has to be backed up with proper citations and footnotes. Every legal decision needs to be backed up with legal precedent. But Jesus is in a different league altogether. He doesn't cite references or any worldly authorities for that matter. With Jesus, there is no perhaps or in my opinion or uh, or it may be so, there's no speculation, there's no guesswork, there's no fumbling around as to the answers of the big issues of life, but he speaks on his own authority. He speaks with inherent authority. He speaks with the assurance of God himself. We see it so clearly in Matthew's gospel and Jesus' sermon on the, Mount, on the Mount where he says, you have heard that it was said of the men of old, but I say to you, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament days, the prophets would proclaim, Thus saith the Lord. Along comes Jesus and says, I say to you. And so the people heard this. No one has ever taught like this. And so they were simply blown away by it. They couldn't believe it. They were alarmed. They were terrified, amazed, astonished. I mean, you know, pick your word. We are not told that the congregation accepted the teaching. They recognized his authority. It was alarming. We don't know if they, if they placed themselves under his authority. But immediately, there's that word again. Immediately, Jesus' teaching was interrupted by a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out in angry confrontation, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You've come to destroy us. I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. He was a man possessed by demons. He was firmly in the grip of evil powers. In the presence of the Holy One of God, the demons could only recoil in horror, for they knew that Jesus had power to destroy them. The demon cried out, What do we have to do with you? And the answer is, absolutely nothing. God will have nothing to do with Satan. The battle is on. It's the godly versus the ungodly. It's the holy versus the unholy. It's good versus evil. But this is not a battle of equal powers. The, deepen, the, the demons knew he was on the losing, 
losing end of the stick. Now, in biblical days, there was a belief that if you could get your adversary to reveal his name, you could somehow gain power over him. There was power in knowing the name, power in the name. So that when Jacob wrestled the angel by the river Jabbok, Jacob tried to get the angel to tell him his name so that Jacob could overcome him. So it may be that the man with the unclean spirit blurted out, I know who you are. You are Jesus of Nazareth. You are the Holy One of God. Was the demon's attempt to gain mastery over Jesus. Now here's an interesting fact that I learned in my study. The only other person to be called the Holy One of God besides Jesus here is Samson in the Old Testament. Samson, if you remember, was endowed by the Holy Spirit with exceptional strength and power. And so the irony is that the demon recognized he was facing someone here greater than Samson. He knew he was in a losing battle with Jesus, the Son of God, come to bind up the strong man Satan and to destroy his hellish power. The demon demon knew that he was under the sentence of judgment and that his doom was sure. Jesus is the Holy One of God. And in the presence of holiness, the immediate response is fear and trembling. What do you have to do with us? What do you have to do with us? Fear and trembling. It's the natural response to one who finds himself or herself in the presence of the divine. Fear and trembling. There's a sense in which when we find ourselves in the presence of Jesus, we ought to experience a sense of dread because our Lord is so holy and we are so unholy. Like Isaiah in the temple who found himself in the presence of God himself. Isaiah's first response, his first reaction, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. Well, Jesus then rebuked the demon. Be quiet, he said sternly. But actually what he said was much stronger than that. I mean, it's not very polite. But what he said was, shut up! And with that, the demon shrieked and gave his last shudder of strength, gave it up, came out of him. Jesus didn't use a magic spell. He didn't use, uh, didn't try to concoct some kind of a magic potion. Jesus doesn't act like a magician at all, like others in that day. Jesus simply speaks, and the demon obeys. And again, the congregation is amazed, astonished, stunned, flabbergasted. They can't believe it, alarmed, they're terrified. What is this? A new teaching, and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. No wonder then, we're told, news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The authority and power of Jesus' word, of his teaching, is demonstrated in deed. And his deed is not just an expression of Jesus' grandeur, but of his compassion. 
Jesus used his power not only to defeat the forces of evil, but he used it in such a way to bring healing to a man who was completely captive to the evil within him. Jesus used his authority not only to expel unclean spirits, but to restore broken people to healing and to wholeness. Jesus used his power and authority not to show off, but to help and to heal. Jesus' very purpose in coming is to defeat evil in all its forms and to serve people by winning them back to God in whose image they were originally created. So the gospel writer Mark's purpose in telling this story at the outset of his gospel is to show that Jesus is a man who has divine authority, inherent authority, whose word is powerful and redemptive, and as such, he is the one to be trusted above all other authorities and all other teachers. He is Lord. Today, of course, we live in an age that questions and distrusts all authority. We are afraid of dogma and of old and cherished traditions practiced for tradition's sake. The motto of my generation was question authority. It was on every other bumper sticker of my day. But it hasn't changed. Question authority. Surely all claims to authority actually ought to be questioned and evaluated critically and tested. But that doesn't mean that all moral authority ought to be thrown out into the great sea of relativism. It does not mean that there is no reliable anchor in life. And yet as a society, we are cutting loose of our moorings and we are merely drifting, kind of like going from an ice floe to an ice floe. Moral authority in our society, which has been rooted in our Judeo-Christian tradition, is being challenged and is rapidly breaking down, in case you haven't noticed. <laughs> and as a result, we're not even sure of what values to teach our children. We're not sure what is right or wrong anymore. It's pretty difficult to find support for one's moral convictions because it's all in the eye of the beholder, right? Somebody else is right or somebody else is wrong, vice versa. In terms of morality in our society, it does seem like, like society is jumping from one ice floe to another and it's always shifting, always shifting. Don't know quite what to believe. We don't know. Could it be that we need to rediscover the teachings of Jesus and acknowledge their authority? The Gospel writer Mark wants us to be astonished by the power of Jesus' teachings. Christ still stands and still teaches. And to heart and mind and conscience, Jesus' teaching still rings true with a note of authenticity and authority. Deep down inside, if we really listen to Jesus, we know that they are the words of the living God. So how much then do you and I need to listen to them and pay attention to them? We are to understand them and then stand under them and then allow his word to hold sway over our lives so that his teachings are our anchor when everyone else is jumping from ice flow to ice flow, where the moral foundations are just up for grabs. You know, Jesus in another place talks about building the foundation of one's life upon the word of the Lord, the word of God, building into the rock, which will stand forever. Live 
by the authority of Jesus' words, says Mark. Be astonished by them. Try to listen to Jesus as though for the first time. Part of our problem is sometimes we get so familiar with them, they, they lose their, you know, they, they don't grab us, but we're not paying attention. Be astonished by his teaching. They cut right to the heart, right to the big issues of life. They have power to see us through in life. That's what Mark wants to say to us in our scripture lesson this morning. But he also says to us at the same time, be not afraid, for no matter how powerful the forces of evil may be in this world, Jesus is stronger. Jesus possesses authority even over the demons. We can't help but see what's happening in the Middle East with ISIS and not be aware of demonic forces at work, right? I mean, more than just human sin is involved here. We're talking about demonic power, which tends to take human sin and, and makes it dynamic. The, the, the devil does a number with it, and we can see it working. We understand something of what the Apostle Paul meant when he said in Ephesians, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The good news is that Jesus has authority over the demons and has the power to bind Satan. The ultimate outcome in the battle between good and evil is assured, for Jesus is sovereign Lord. He won the major battle at the cross of Calvary, and the ultimate victory over evil is assured by virtue of his resurrection. He lives still, and he will work out his good purposes for us and for the world. Good will win in the end. And so there is no reason to be hopeless or to be discouraged or frightened or overwhelmed. We are on the winning side. So we can continue to stand firm in God's truth and work for God's justice and love. For God's love will prevail. The power and authority of Jesus is greater than evil wherever it may be found, including the evil we find within ourselves. Because of who he is, we can claim his power over the demons that inhabit our own souls and are present in our own lives. I mean, call them what you will, demons of fear and mistrust, demons of selfishness and unhealthy pride, demons of greed and lust, the sin that holds us captive, whatever it is, it is in our lives that threatens to overwhelm us or that would separate us from God, we can claim his power over those things. And as you and I put our trust in him and in his word, as we put ourselves under his authority as Lord, we experience his power. We find healing and wholeness. We experience the joy of being in right relationship with God. Even though our personal struggles may overwhelm, we know that we are not alone, for the strong man is with us. Jesus is stronger and bigger than any bad thing you and I will face in this life. So we need to keep on battling and never give up. 
and with Christ by our side we cannot lose. Martin Luther put it so well in that great hymn, The Mighty Fortress. Did we in our own strength confide, our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Just ask who that may be. Christ Jesus, it is He. Lord Sabaoth is named from age to age the same, and He must win the battle. And though this world of devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed His truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fell Him. Jesus speaks, and the demons obey. So listen to Jesus. Put your trust in Him. Give Him authority over your life. Be astonished by His word and by His power. He always exercises His authority over us to help us and not to hinder us, to save us, and not to oppress us. So let us put our ultimate trust in Him as a Son of God, as the one who has divine authority. He's the Lord of life. He is worthy of our trust. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the good news that... Uh, that, uh, that your victory is already assured and that as we go through life, as we think about all the troubling things in our world and in our own lives, Lord, your cause is going to win in the end. We share the victory with you. So, Lord, help us to not only understand Jesus' teachings but to stand under them that we might experience the power of those words in our lives to sustain us, to be our anchor when everything in life seems to be shifting here and there. Thank you, Lord, for the rock that you are in our lives. We would build our lives upon you and your word. To you be all praise and glory forever and ever. Amen.